Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. All right, welcome back into the Nick Bob podcast. Appreciate everybody downloading, subscribing, supporting the pod. I'm taping this. It's about 4 o'clock. Uh, it's Friday, January 27th. Uh, Blue Jay fans, sit tight. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm was gonna do a pod, but I'm like, you know what? I'm gonna let this, uh, this Creighton Xavier game happen uh, on Saturday. Huge game in Omaha. I'm on the call. Westwood One. Pumped to be on Westwood One with my guy Kevin Kugler. Uh, but I'll have some reaction to that game and have some more thoughts on Creighton after that one, as it does feel like the arrow is starting to trend up for Creighton. Uh, but just sit tight. Uh, I got some. I'll have some some Creighton stuff here. Uh, shortly today, I uh, got some mailbag questions I've I've been wanting to uh, to tackle, but I want to start with with this with some Husker hoops. I just uh, I got Nebraska basketball fresh in my mind. I called Nebraska Northwestern on uh, on Wednesday, and uh, you know Nebraska basketball is in a really tough spot right now. You know, in injuries have derailed what could have been a really interesting season. I don't know how else to phrase it. I don't know if interesting is the the perfect word, but I'll just go with interesting. Uh, but instead. Obviously, Derek Walker missed the first five games of the year. Sam Greasel missed two Big Ten games. One, he was sick, I think, at Indiana, and then uh, had his, some hip problems and missed the Purdue game. And But the big ones are Jawan Gary out for the season with a shoulder injury and Emmanuel Bandamel out for the season with a knee injury. Big. When when fully healthy, this team was pretty good, man. They they were They weren't bad. They beat Creighton. Pushed Purdue to the brink, hammered Iowa. Or they, I think they were seven and three was their record with Walker, Greasel, Gary, and Bandamel all healthy and in the lineup. Pretty good. NCAA tournament team, I don't know about that. But they were a legit team with a legit identity that could legitimately hang in college basketball. Which is something that you couldn't fully say about Nebraska the first three years under Hoiberg, especially last year. I mean, last year's team was just, you know, I mean, just, we don't have to relitigate that, but this was a legitimate team, man. So it's frustrating. It's frustrating for everyone. It's frustrating for the fans. It's frustrating for Fred Hoiberg. And, you know, I was thinking about these injuries. Here's the thing with injuries not all injuries are created equal, obviously. But one of the things. I was thinking about with this Nebraska team and the injuries to Juwan Gary and Emmanuel Bandamel as I was watching film and getting ready to call that Nebraska-Northwestern game at Pinnacle Bank Arena and all that. I was thinking about this. One of the rules I have for judging how big certain injuries are to a team is this. Simply ask this question. Does an injury to a player, does that player being out change the essence of who the team is? Does that injury change the identity of the team. I think that is as important as any other way to judge it. Sure, best player or leading scorer or whatever other way to look at it is 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 good and fine, but I think a critical way to view an injury is is what I just said, is the identity of the team different with them out. 
and how different? Like completely different? Slightly different? Like they have to change everything? If so, that is obviously not good and changes the trajectory of you know said game or said season. Let me give you an example. Nebraska football, 1994. On paper, Tommy Frazier being out, huge deal, right? Which it was. I mean, T. Frazier, great player. But the, but, but the reason Nebraska was able to sustain and ultimately flourish was not just because of Brooke Behringer, but because it didn't, T. Frazier being out didn't change the identity of the football team. It didn't change the essence of who that team was. Identity was in the offensive line, running the football, physical as hell, great on defense, in particular up front. So even I'll bring up Brooke. So even when backup Brooke Berenger went down and was and missed that Kansas State game on the road, remember that? Matt Terman came in and Nebraska still won on the road at K-State. Why? Because those injuries to T. Frazier and Brooke Berenger, it didn't change, fully change the identity of the team. Now, don't get me wrong, are they better with T. Frazier and Brooke? Obviously. But those injuries didn't change the essence of who that team was and the identity of who that team was. And with Nebraska basketball right now, the reality is, yes, Sam Griesel and Derek Walker are Nebraska's two best players. Indisputable. But in my opinion, Emmanuel Bandamel and Jawan Gary were the essence of who Nebraska was this season. They, they were the two guys that, that were the identity of the team. Nebraska's essence or identity was they were a defensive-oriented, tough-minded, grind-you-down type of team. And Gary and Bandamel were the tone setters in leading that charge. Gary and Bandamel were the guys that made the foundation of their identity. Gary rebounding the ball, being able to guard multiple positions. Bandamel guarding the ball, guarding the other team's best perimeter player, heating the ball up. So when you lose those two guys, everything changes. Everything. In fact, when I was at shoot around, I asked Fred Hoiberg uh, on 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 Wednesday. I asked him. I said uh, to to Hoiberg, I said, "You guys, you, obviously, you guys are still going to demand that that the players play hard and compete. But with Gary and Bandamel out, can you still be who you were identity wise, in particular on defense?" And he said, "No." He just shook his head. He said, you know, Nick, we're going to have to get gimmicky. We're going to have to get creative now on defense. We're going to have to run some junk defenses. We're going to have to run more zone. Which I thought was telling. Now, it was what I expected his answer to be, but I felt like, I still felt like I was curious how he would answer the question. But still, I, I pretty telling. Because who this team had become is a team led by its defense. Fly around, dig the ball out of the paint, collapse on baseline drives and baseline post-ups, full rotate, protect the paint, get back to shooters on the three-point line. That That's what won the Creighton game. That's what won the Iowa game. That's what almost took down the number one team in the country, Purdue, in Lincoln. That was the identity of this basketball team. And now with Gary and Bandamel out... The essence of who this team is, is altered. Completely altered. So again, Derek Walker, Sam Griesel are Nebraska's two best players. No doubt about it. But Gary and Bandamel were the tone setters, the identity foundational pieces of who this team was. 
So people are, are trying to kind of get a feel for what the rest of the season is going to look like. I think it's going to be a grind, man. I don't know how else to phrase it or put it. I do think they'll continue to play hard and compete like they have. I think Derek Walker and Sam Greasel will continue to try to lead the way and be pretty good players. Just not sure what their identity is now. They've always been, throughout this year, a pretty average offensive team. They're not great on that end of the floor. They're not... They're, they're a team that's it's hard to think they're not just going to have to outscore everyone, right? They're not a team that's built to score 75, 80, 90 points. They're just not. I mean, they're 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 going to lean heavy on two freshmen and Denham Dawson and Jamarcus Lawrence. They might have to continue to play Sam Hoiberg and Spurts and go from there. Because again, with Banamel was the perimeter lockdown defender, but he was also the backup point guard. This team lacked a lot of just guys that could handle the ball. It was Greasel and Banamel, and that was kind of it. So with him out. The ball handling becomes problematic, and that's where they need Sam Hoiberg and Jamarcus Lawrence to step up and handle it a bit to help spell Greasel, even when he, whether when he's out of the game or even on the floor. So it's hard. You look at Ken Palm. Ken Palm only has Nebraska predicted to win two more games, and now a lot of those per, are, are projections with Bandamel and Gary. Like they got him projected to win Minnesota at home and, and Wisconsin at home. Other than that, all else the rest of the way. So this could be a tough final 10 games of the season, man. This could be a really challenging final 10 games. Now, we'll see if Fred Hoiberg and the staff can kind of reinvent themselves on the fly defensively, which is a tall task in the middle of the year. It's just too bad. I was really impressed with how Hoiberg kind of reset everything for this year. I think all the new staff additions have been great. This team finally plays hard and competes at the Big Ten level. And it's just it's just a shame that, shame that this group fully healthy, didn't get a chance to take a swing at the Big Ten this year. I think they could have been a tough, tough team to beat, in particular in Lincoln, all year. There's a reason Purdue had their hands full. There's a reason that Iowa got their got, got blown out. There's a reason that Ohio State lost. Like, they were going to be tough to beat in Lincoln. But now that has changed. Now that has changed, and that is certainly extremely frustrating for uh for Fred Hoiberg and the fan base. Okay, let's get to some uh some mailbag questions. Again, I I tweeted this out a, a couple about a month ago, retweeted it, just been kind of collecting a handful of ones. Uh yeah, again, you can email me nick at nickbaugh.com. You can hit me on Twitter at Nick Baugh. Uh we'll start uh l- email uh, from Joe. It says Nick, interesting topic around Nebraska football right now is whether you consider uh, rule coming in a reset or a rebuild. Curious how you see it. Yeah, I've heard a lot of people have been talking about that. I think it was Sif that kind of got the, the conversation started with that. Uh, reset or rebuild for Matt Rule as he's coming into uh, to Nebraska. What, what's hard about this question is it's really tough to justify this not being a rebuild. If we're going the path of like what's the easiest to justify or to defend – it's it's easiest to justify this as a rebuild rather than a reset because call it a reset would insinuate that you had it and you are bringing it back and it was not that long ago. Well, six straight years and no bowl game, like is it, is that what you're resetting to? Are you resetting to 1999 or to, to what? You know what I mean? Because within the question then becomes like, okay, how far back can you reset something? You, you know what I mean? Like, 
That's kind of that's kind of like are the Bears resetting to the eighty five Bear? You know, what I mean, like we're gonna reset it to eighty five, baby. Like I view reset as more of like a one, two, three years back kind of a thing. Yes, Nebraska is one of the winningest college football programs of all time. It is a blue blood program, but it's it's been a while since they've been at that those heights. So is it a reset because you've been there before? Like, I, I don't know. Now, again, we're getting into the weeds of of semantics here, but at its core, that's kind of what this question is about. It's literally like, what are you labeling something? I would say I'd call this a rebuild over a reset, but here's the thing. The term rebuild, it, it, the definition of that is altering before our eyes. Because I think rebuild in college football in 2023 doesn't have to mean being bad for two, three, four years. Now, a rebuild in 1992 or 2002 or hell, even 2012, likely that that phrasing, that term, that label likely means it's going to take a few years for you to get this thing back on back up and going. And the truth is, with the transfer portal, you can flip things fairly quick. When you could only build through high school recruits, and you were fully at the mercy of who was left over in that locker room, then there's something, like, when that's the case, there sometimes was a non-negotiable three, four-year waiting period for programs to rebuild themselves, right? Well, that's not the case anymore. Like, a rebuild can pop fairly quickly. Because think about this. Look at Tennessee. Look at Tennessee. Josh Heupel took over a Tennessee program that didn't go to a bowl game in three of four years prior to his arrival. Three of the four seasons that led to three out of the four years prior to him getting to Tennessee. No bowl game. Okay, when he took over, would you have called that a rebuild or a reset? I don't know. I mean, it's hard now because we know what you know, hindsight's 2020 and we know the answers to the test. I don't know. You'd have asked a lot of fans around there, is this a rebuild or a reset? I think there's some people that probably would have called it a rebuild. Well, they just finished year two and they went 11 and two, finished sixth in the country. The Nick Bob Podcast is powered by Runza and the cold winter months. It's officially here. And as a warm weather lover myself, the cold can kind of bum me out. But the one thing that always puts a huge smile on my face when it gets cold, temperature Tuesdays at Runza. Yes. It's that time of the year. Temperature Tuesdays are back at Runza, where every Tuesday in January and February, the 6 a.m. temperature at the coldest Runza location is the price you'll pay for an original Runza sandwich when you buy a medium fry and medium drink. Think about it. An original Runza sandwich might be 10 cents, a dime, might be a nickel, might be a quarter. Heck, might even be one penny. Just one penny. So make sure you take advantage of this incredible deal every single Tuesday at Runza where the temp at 6 a.m. in Runza land is the price you pay for an original Runza sandwich and you buy a medium fry and a medium drink. It's back, baby. Temperature Tuesdays. Runza makes it all better. So there are a lot of ways to view this thing. Now, you put the proverbial gun to my head. What is it, man? Say it now. Reset or rebuild. What is it? I would call this a rebuild over a reset. But I think just because you are rebuilding doesn't mean that you can't be good pretty quickly. 
Not saying that I'd predict that, but you never know. In 2023, with the transfer portal, a rebuild can get done fairly quick. It can. Tim emails in, uh, says, Nick, what did you think of Shannon Sharp getting into it with all the Memphis Grizzlies? I'm not sure if people saw that. This would have been about a week ago or so. Uh, yeah, Shannon Sharp at the Staples Center. It's like was got into it with Dylan Brooks and and Stephen Adams and all and and John Morant and John Morant's dad. He was on the sidelines. There's like a little like scuffle. The guys were having to hold each other back and all that stuff. I mean, what did I, th- I thought it was all embarrassing for mainly for Shannon Sharp. I mean, it's a weird thing not to go too much on a tangent with this, but like. One of my main takes with this whole thing is like I think a, I think a lot of those talking head hot take debate show guys like Stephen A. Smith and Skip Bayless and Shannon Sharp and Emmanuel Acho and Nick Wright, like I think the guys that are in that world sometimes lose their sense of reality. I, a thing we see in the media now, which is so interesting, a thing we see in the media now from these talking head debate show guys is you pick a player, you pick a player. And no matter what, you defend them or you rip them. No matter what. Obviously, for Shannon, he loves LeBron. Everything's going to be shaped from there. For Skip, he hates LeBron. Everything's going to be shaped from there. For a guy like Nick Wright, he loves LeBron and loves Patrick Mahomes. A guy like Emmanuel Acho, he he hates Justin Herbert. Hates probably a strong word. Like he he doesn't he he doesn't like Justin Herbert and he loves Tua. So everything's going to get shaped from there. Stephen A. Smith's just kind of screaming at everything. But the, like those guys, they they have their their dudes. They just dig in their heels, and I, sometimes I feel like they lose their grasp on things. Like sometimes, Emmanuel Watcho so disrespectful to Herbert. They had a jersey made called like "Social Media Quarterback" instead of Herbert. It's like as like a dig at him. Like I'm like Jesus, guys. Like why did somewhere along the line it became like like I don't know why you have to like be an asshole to do this job. You know what I mean? Like Skip is so disrespectful to LeBron James. Like it's like, gee, Shannon is such a LeBron lover to get to Shannon Sharp. Like Shannon Sharp is such a LeBron lover and he lives in this world every day that he went to a Lakers game and he kind of took that distorted sense of reality with him courtside. It, It was almost like he was on the Los Angeles Lakers and he was LeBron's teammate because that's kind of how he acts on the air. So he he lost his mind and he's yelling at Dylan Brooks and he's yelling at Steven Adams and he's yelling at John Morant and he's yelling at John Morant's dad. I mean, it's like, dude, what are you, what are you doing? I will say this. Shannon gave a three-minute apology on the air that was as heartfelt and great of an apology as I've heard from like a public figure. Like, so, like you know, sometimes you got, people get up there and they they apologize, but you can tell it's like, it's it's not sincere. It's not like, he. it was a great, it was a really, really good apology. But it still wasn't, I mean, it was just an embarrassing moment. Even, you know, with with Skip Bayless, I saw uh, I saw after the Dallas Cowboys lost in the playoffs, he videotaped himself. I mean, he had to have someone hold the camera. That's what's so funny about this stuff. It's like someone was in the kitchen holding the camera for him like a phone and videotaped himself walking into the kitchen, holding a Dak Prescott jersey and throwing the jersey in the trash. It's like, what the hell is wrong with you, man? Like, what are you doing? 
Now, again, maybe that resonates with a lot of people, but I view that, I'm like, okay. I mean, what are you doing? I couldn't imagine doing that. I couldn't imagine it. Who acts like that? The, the, there is a way, like I said, there's a way to debate and discuss without acting like a jerk and always taking like the predictable take. Meaning, like LeBron, for instance, with Skip, like LeBron could go, LeBron could lead the Lakers to the title this year. Let's say the Lakers get in to the playoffs and LeBron could have 70 points in game seven and win his sixth NBA title or fifth, whatever it is now. And Skip would come on the air the next day and not give him credit. He just wouldn't. It's just, it's wild. So anyway, I thought Shannon Sharp's antics were embarrassing. I just, I've noticed that these debate show guys, they, a lot of them, I feel like have a distorted sense of reality. Even Stephen A. Smith. Like, did you see this? He went on the Sherry Shepard talk show. I didn't even know that I didn't know about this show, but it's like an Oprah Ellen type show. And he was asked about Rihanna performing at the Super Bowl and all that. And as you know, his answer was, I like Rihanna, but there's one thing she's not. She ain't Beyonce. Let's be clear. Let's be clear about that. And it's like, dude, what are you doing? Like what? Now he got crushed and all that stuff. I mean, some of the stuff is like, everybody relax. It's not that big a deal, but it's also like, dude, like why? Like, what are you doing? Why does it always have to be with these? Why does with everybody? Why does it always have to have, be some sort of dig on someone to pump someone else up? Like I don't know. Okay, enough of this question. Next question. Uh, my guy Matt D. Marinas, White and Blue Review, says Nick, uh, what were what were top five most memorable games as a player? Okay, and you said high school or college. You know what? When I read that question and I and I I doing when I was thinking about this, I realized something that's a little depressing. When I thought about that, okay, five most memorable games, what are they? My mind got flooded with the losses and not the wins. Now, I don't know if that's normal or not for all the people out there listening, uh, any former athlete at any level. Like, are you like that too? Like, for some, if someone's, okay, most memorable games. My mind immediately went to, like, the losses, which is, Jesus, Nick, get it together. But I don't know if that's normal or not. But the, the, the games, the majority of the games that have stuck with me, I guess, are the losses, which is kind of depressing. So I wrote down a couple. I mean, they're not all going to be losses. I'm not going to, let's not like all go cry here. But I, I will say I, both high school state basketball title games. Stick with me. For those that don't know, yes, <laughs> this is almost sad to say out loud. Like I led Lincoln Southeast to back-to-back state championship games and lost both of them. Two, two state title games. Your boy was there, lost them both. Lost to Grand Island my junior year. Lost to Lincoln High my senior year. Brutal. Brutal. To make it all the way to the finals and lose both times. Ugh. And what hurts even more, I played terrible in both games. Like, not like, ah, Nick. Like, nobody walked away and was like, you know, Ball was just okay today. No, everybody's walking out of that gym like, Ball was terrible today. I'd honest, I can honestly say, the two worst games I played in my entire high school career were the two state title games. I was terrible in both games. 
So that that certainly makes it stick even more in a bad way. It makes it hurt even more. But uh, yeah, those two games stick with me, man. Losing both. I could have back-to-back state titles. I should have won three my sophomore year. How about this for a fun fact? I've, I've told these stories all the time, but you know, Matt asked about it. Only team in 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 Class A history to lose to not win the state title and still be ranked number one at the end of the year. Two thousand one Lincoln Southeast Knights. Look it up. The Nick Bob Podcast is brought to you by Pella Windows and Doors, and I want to talk to you guys about energy efficiency. And if you go into Pella's website right now, you look at it, and how about this? One, two, three, four, five different types of windows or doors by Pella won the Energy Star 2020 Most Energy Efficient Award. That's big-time stuff right there. And they achieved that in a couple of waves. They got insulated glass, which slows the heat transfer, keeping your home at a more comfortable temperature. They got types of low-E glass, which is a glass coating that has been optimized for your climate. They got triple pane glass, which you can upgrade to for increased insulating airspace. And within all of that, one of the keys is proper installation, which is key for window and doors to perform at their best. And you know the Pella experts are excellent at that. Bottom line, energy efficiency matters in making your home more comfortable. And Pella windows and doors are at the top of the line when it comes to energy efficiency. Check them out online, PellaOmaha.com. That's PellaOmaha.com. We were so fucking good. We were we were unbelievable. We we got upset in the quarterfinals by Bellevue West. We were we were so much better than everybody. We lost in the quarterfinals, and I think it was East went on the win that year. And we were still number one in the paper. Final rankings, Southeast number one. Think about that. And then I come back. I go to the go to the state title game my junior year, lose. Go to the state title game my senior year, lose. Jesus. Like the over-under state titles for me as I was going to the state tournament my sophomore year. I mean, I went, made it to the quarterfinals my freshman year, too. Uh, we lost in the first round of Burke. But, um, I mean, you probably would have set like the over-under of titles, state basketball championships for like one and a half, maybe. And I got zero. I could have won three, zero. So that's good. I did good. Jesus. Get it together, Nick. Uh, another game on a positive note, Missouri Valley Conference Tournament Finals against Southern Illinois in 2007, man. Uh, just there, it, mainly because there wasn't any like moment or anything like that, but there is just, there is nothing like, there's nothing like a conference tournament final when you have to win it to make the NCAA tournament. There's nothing like it, man. The emotion of that is indescribable. We were so locked in as a team. It didn't matter. I really believe this. You know, some people say this stuff like it didn't matter who was all, we were playing. We were winning that day. Like I really feel like it didn't matter that day. We were we would not be denied. It didn't matter who we were taking on. And we were talking on a damn good Southern Illinois team. I think they made it to the Sweet Sixteen that year. Lost to Kansas, who a uh, pretty damn good KU team. But it. it I'll tell you, I was an offensive-minded guy. I was a shooter, right? But I can tell you, I've never had a game. I'm serious about this. It was, it was bizarre in this regard. Not bizarre as I thought. It was cool. It was a cool feeling. I've never had a game where I was less concerned about shooting than that game. All I cared about, and a lot of it was this was how Southern Illinois played. It was going to be a. I mean, it, you played Southern Illinois back in the day, like it was going to be. You're going into the street alley, and it's a fist fight. Like you no know, saw like you 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 better be ready to fight and that so we knew the game was going to be a fight so you had to adjust your mindset accordingly. They're going to foul you for forty minutes. If you are soft, they are going to take your lunch money. 
But I remember going in there, man, and all we were all like this, all of us, Dotzler, Pierre Simba, Nick Porter, Nate Funk, Anthony Tolliver, Dane Watts, like all of us, we all, were, all we gave a shit about was defense, rebounding, flying around, any loose ball, we're on it, it didn't we were on it, all of us. Like I can remember being in those huddles and looking at those dudes' eyes and, Dan, and Coach Altman's eyes, we were about that life that day. Like it didn't matter. We all felt it. And we won. And I'm telling you, when you, when you know you got to win to go to the NCAA tournament and you win, it's just amazing. The whole experience with that was just incredible. Cutting down the nets, celebrating in the locker room. Uh, fun little fact. <laughs> Nate, so the, it's in St. Louis, obviously. Uh, that's where the Missouri Valley Conference tournament is. And we, we go to the St. Louis airport that night to fly home. And you know we got about a we got about an hour at our gate before we have to like load and all that stuff. And Funk and Funk and I, Funk and I sneak away to a Chili's at the St. Louis airport and had a beer before we boarded the flight home to Omaha. Is is the best beer one of the top five beers of my life. Had a beer, chugged it. Cheers with Funk. Amazing man, we we are dancing. We knew we knew when Selection Sunday came, they were calling our name. Just to know you're in the tournament is so exciting. Such a fun game. Uh, obviously, we've talked. Bo and I have talked about this game. State championship game, uh, football, my sophomore year. Uh, scored the game-winning touchdown in double overtime. I've told this story a bajillion times, but that game will forever be remembered for me. I mean, it was me, Bo, Barrett, Jake, Gordo, Rigoni. Uh, Gordo being Alex Gordon, my childhood dudes. We were all out there. Like, the backfield was me, Bo, Barrett. It was, if I'm not mistaken... We were playing prep, and we were both ranked in the top 25. It was the, at the time, I think it was the Fox Sports High School Game of the Week. It was an amazing game. They were good. They were, Stevie Hicks, Titus Adams, uh, they were good. And 14-7, to 7, double overtime. It was so cold. It was probably the coldest football game I've ever played in. And to score the game-winning touchdown, seven-yard run, and double OT was, uh, I mean, just incredible. Um, what else? I scored 39 at uh, my high school career high, 39 points at Papillion. Uh, the Papillion won 3-1 zone the whole game, and your boy was was open from three, let it rip pretty good. Senior day at Creighton, beat Bradley as a senior, 110 or 111 to 110, I believe the final score was, in overtime. It's an amazing game. Uh, Cavell Witter at 42. Senior days mean a lot. You know, you don't want to lose on senior day and have to give a speech after you just took an L and all that shit. Uh, you know, it was an unbelievable game. Really, really fun. Uh, I did hit a uh, one of my only legitimate, my only legit buzzer beater game winner. Maybe I had one in like seventh or eighth grade, but my only true like ball out of my hand buzzer swish game winner was against Lincoln High my sophomore year in the holiday tournament. It was a basin out of bounds, about three, four seconds left. Uh, Barrett Rude's inbounding. I cut to the corner. Barrett hits me. I drove to the middle, about two dribbles, shot fake, defender. Uh, Johansi Christie, uh, Christie left his feet and I then banked it in at the buzzer. Ball game's amazing. We have, a buzzer beater's the best. But I'll end on this one too uh, because I, I couldn't help but think of this one. Uh, Kansas at Nebraska my freshman year uh, at KU. The it, Getting booed at Nebraska is one, is one of the most emotional days of my athletic life. For a Nebraskan a Lincoln kid, someone who grew up going to Devaney, the Devaney Sports Center, to get booed was surreal. 
I, you know what's funny is I don't quite remember what I was expecting from the crowd or not. Like, I don't know what, I don't think I was expecting a warm reception or anything like that, but I didn't think it would be like that. Like, it was hectic in there, dude. Like, I was getting heckled from the moment I took the floor for warm-ups. Like, I'm talking like an hour plus before the game. You know, when dudes are just kind of like walking onto the court to get some light shots up for it. Like, I was getting heckled from that moment on. I've told this story before, but the student section left a piece of paper on on the Kansas bench that said seat reserved for Nick Baugh, which I still think is kind of funny, but it said seat reserved for Nick Baugh, and I, I, I remember I picked it up and I looked at it, and the students were kind of right by the bench. They were right there, and oh, man, when I picked it up and read it, the students are right there. They are dog cussing me. Fuck you. Fuck you, Baugh. Yeah, sit your ass on a bench. I mean, just giving it to me. Like laughing at me, dog cussing me. And so then when I, I, the game I actually played in, when I checked in, I got booed bad, like really bad. Like every time I touched the ball, like loud ringing down every time the students, the student section chanted trade, like everybody was chanting trader, trader. Trader, like ringing through the vanny, booze, trader. Like, I remember being like, holy shit. I was a little shell shocked from it. Now, it did, your boy did, I hit back to back threes and silenced everyone momentarily, which felt good, but we did lose that game. John Turret gave it to us that game. But man, I, I do remember, I remember getting back to the locker room after the game and getting in the shower. And I don't know what happened. Usually, I don't know if you guys are like me, but you, usually as a, as a man, you you know, you feel like you feel the tears welling up, like you can feel it coming a little bit, like it start your your maybe your 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 lip, your chin starts to do that little Harlem shake or whatever, and you you feel the tears coming, and so you maybe have time to kind of like fight it and suppress it and get those tears out of here. But I'm in the shower, and this came on in seemingly like five seconds. I was in the shower, and boom, I was just sobbing. Like, for two minutes, I cried hard. Like, I'm talking hard. Like, embarrassing, ugly, was sobbing. It was it was crazy. I don't care what anyone says. Everybody can play the tough guy. Like, I don't care, man. I don't give a fuck. I don't give a fuck what anybody is. Getting booed in your hometown hurts especially what was weird and I'm not saying these people like every time I looked in the crowd that game I feel like I saw someone I knew like I would see someone I'd be like that's my parents friends I went to high school with him oh I know that's uh she used to work at Irving Middle School like I would see I feel like every time I looked in the crowd I saw familiar faces that's what was so weird about it and when you're in I was in a building that I'd have been in a million times and and it was just it was surreal, man. So I don't it's I don't care what everybody says, man. Getting booed by your hometown doesn't feel good. It's just it's and and I've talked about this before as well, but it was also because those people booing and chaining trader and all this stuff, they didn't know the story, like of what my recruiting my, my recruitment was like. I think a lot of people I think a lot of people thought I had equal offers from Kansas and Nebraska and chose Nebraska. And it wasn't like that. I've told people this on the pod before, but it was a couple years ago. Like Nebraska didn't even recruit me very hard. They didn't like. They didn't offer me a scholarship. They they didn't go to my AAU games. 
They really didn't come to my high school games. They barely called or communicated with me. I think people just assume because Kansas was recruiting me and because I was the Gatorade player of the year in Nebraska and all that stuff that Nebraska must be all over me, and they weren't. They weren't. My final recruiting meeting with Barry Collier in the spring of 2003, so this would have been like early April 2003, I think, I remember I sat in his office, and 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 I love Barry Collier now. We have a great relationship. He's at AD at Butler. I see him all the time doing Butler games. Like great, I, 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 We have a great relationship now. But at the time, it wasn't really like that. You know, My final meeting with Barry Collier in the spring of 2003 is he, he officially offered me a, a, to walk on. He offered me to walk on. And I remember he told me. He, I remember he told me, he goes, I, I see you having an Adam Bohawk-type career here at Nebraska. Adam Bohawk was a walk-on from Kimball, Nebraska. And I remember coming in and playing pickup with Adam. Adam was nice kid, tough kid. Like, this isn't meant to be mean for Adam. But Adam Bohawk made two shots his entire career. Two. And and that's the that's not a glowing vision to paint for me. I see you having an Adam Bohawk career. I'm like, fuck this dude. It almost felt like this dude was like telling me to not come here. Like that's what. Like I left. Usually, like you, you, you're on these recruiting visits, and they they make you like they, you know, at the very least, they make it seem like they want you there. Like I didn't feel like he wanted me there. I mean, someone tells you, "Hey, come on this team, and you're never gonna play. You'll maybe make two shots your whole career. What do you think? Want to do it?" <laughs> so I remember walking out of that meeting, and like I was with my dad and my high school coach, and we kind of looked at each other, like, "What the fuck?" Like I don't. Like, I remember thinking, like, he doesn't even, he doesn't want me there. So, I didn't go to Nebraska, and, you know, to return and get booed and all that stuff was, like, it was just, man, it was, uh, it was extra frustrating, because I knew people didn't know the whole story, you know? And that's not their fault. And I, you know, that's, I mean, now that I'm, like, that's, I learned a lot that day on a variety of levels. I learned a lot. Like ultimately, my day was like a day that was like uh, that was a net positive for what I learned about life. You learn a lot about life there, but that game definitely sticks with me. Uh, Brian emailed says Nick, do you have? Uh, I might have tweeted this. Might have been Brian who tweeted. It. He said Nick, do you have any desire to coach? If Fred Hoiberg or Dana Altman or Greg McDermott offered you a spot on their staff, would you hang up the headset and take the gig? Man, I don't. I mean. So much of this is about timing. Like I, like at this point, my my gut answer to that is probably no. Although it would be like if if those people actually called me in and and laid out an offer to me and what they wanted, the, what role they wanted for me and all that stuff. Like that could be hard for me to turn down. You know, I just my my thing is I just don't really have any desire to recruit like that. Uh, I do. I love the game of basketball, obviously, and I do think I'm confident that I think I'd be a good coach. I think I, I think I'd connect with the players well, all that stuff. Like I, I think I know my stuff. Um, but the recruiting part of it would be would be really, really tough um, for me to want to really jump jump into. I do. I do remember this. Um, I remember thinking. I remember thinking in 2012. Well, first of all, when when Dana left to go to Oregon, Dana wanted me to come with him. And I was like, I'm not going to Oregon, man. Like, I, I don't, you know, I didn't want to do that. I was, you know, I was just about, I think it was getting the chicken. I was chicken Nick show was rolling. I was, I just, I didn't think I wanted to coach. So I, I turned him down. But like, I do remember thinking in 2012, whether this was real or not, uh, 
it, I remember if Nebraska would have hired Dana Altman instead of Tim Miles. Like there was maybe a little talk of that. Like, ooh, I don't know, could Dana come back? Blah blah blah. I do. I do remember thinking if Dana would have been hired in 2012. I guarantee you Dana Altman would have offered me a spot on his staff in some capacity since he wanted me to come with him in, to Oregon and me being, I mean, I'm a Nebraska kid, Lincoln, all that stuff. It w- that would have been hard for me to turn down. I remember even having a conversation with Schick about that when like there was, it was up in the air. And I remember we were texting back and forth. Like, you know, if, you know, I think at, at some point the conversation got to like Dana and Nebraska and, you know, uh, Mike Schick kind of basically asked, like, hey, if Dana would take the job, would he would he, would he want you on staff? And I was like, maybe, and I'd probably take it. And he was like, so that would be the end of the Schick and Nick show? And I was like, probably. So, I mean, there's that. But now that I'm, I'm almost 40 years old, I'm married, got three kids, I really feel like I've built up my, my television career here almost 10 years. Like, it'd be tough to walk away from all that. Uh, but who knows, man? Like, things change. Things, things, things have a way of changing. Uh, Yodi on Twitter says, if you could add one former Creighton player in his prime to this year's team, who would it be and why? Uh, Doug McDermott, just because let's not outthink ourselves. He's the greatest Creighton player of all time. And Doug on any team would help. I mean, you think about Doug with this group, like, he's, you know, I don't know who else really would, you know, everybody else there, just, you you know, Doug comes in there and he's, can sh- you know, they need sh- consistent shooting and he would provide score. I mean, imagine him and Kalkbrenner as your four and five, you know, like, eesh. and then with Shireman on the floor with him, passing to him alongside, you know, the space he'd create for Kaluma, Nemhard, pick and roll with Nemhard and him, Trey and, and Doug. Give me a break. So be Doug McDermott. Uh, Nick says, if there was a, if there was a four game tournament between these four Creighton teams, who wins and why? 2013-2014 Doug senior year team. 2016-2017 fully healthy Maurice Watson team. 2019-2020 Big East champs team. 2021 uh, sweet 16 team. Bonus, where does this year's team fit in that uh, in that tournament? Okay. So, team with the best chemistry would be the 2014 Doug McDermott senior year team. That team had something special, man. Plus, that team had the best player, but that team had like you know, we talk about like teams that have like five as one, one heartbeat, one soul. That team had one heartbeat, one soul. It was amazing to watch. The most talented team, I really think it was the 2017 Maurice Watson team when they when before Maurice tore his ACL. But I mean, this starting five Mo Watson at the point, Marcus Foster at the two, Kyrie Thomas at the three, Cole Huff at the four, Justin Patton at the five. Damn. That's that. Not only is that talent, it fits. Uh, highest ceiling hit. Like, which team on the floor hit the highest high? Like, the highest level of play. I honestly thought the Big East Championship team hit the highest apex of all these teams. The last 13 games of that season, in particular the last, like, three or four, first of all, last 13 games, they were 11-2 and two in their last 13 games. But the last couple, Butler at home, uh, they had a game against DePaul at home, the, the Seton Hall game at home, they were rolling. I, I don't. That's. I don't know if I've seen a Creighton team play better than that. They were. It was unbelievable. Now the toughest team was that Sweet Sixteen team. They just had a grit to them on a variety of levels. Like I think it was the 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 COVID stuff. NCAA tournament canceled uh, when they were poised to make a run, uh, and then obviously having to endure all of the COVID things throughout that year. But there was a toughness to that team that was real. 
But you know, for some reason, I think I'm going to pick a team that actually not a lot, uh, not a lot of people would maybe pick, and I'm going to take the Big East title team. To me, it's the best scoring and shooting guard trio. Mark Marcus Zagorowski, Tyshawn Alexander, Mitch Ballock, those three guys, when they had it rolling, forget about it. That's a really good trio of guards. How many teams have three dudes that could hit five, six, or seven threes in a game? Like all three of those guys could all get red hot and hit a whole bunch of threes. Close second would be the 2017 Maurice Watson team. That, that, that team was legitimately Final Four good. And, you know, with this year's teams, I don't, this year, I'm not, again, this team, there's, they feel like they're hitting their stride. This year's teams, Culkbrenner and those dudes, like, this year's team, I, I wouldn't put on those levels yet, but shoot, I mean, it's only January 27th here. We'll see where, where things end up. We'll, we'll see where things end up. All right, we'll wrap it up there. Appreciate everybody, uh, all the emails, all the tweets. Appreciate all the support, man. Uh, again, I'm going to have some reaction to this Creighton stuff over the weekend. Uh, keep it locked, man. Nick Bob Podcast, subscribe. Give it a review. Tell your friend to tell a friend to tell a friend, man. Peace. A Heard at Sports Network production.